Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I don't know if you heard about this, right? But Wales in the rugby yeah. beat Australia 40 points to 6. We're going to win the World Cup, lads. It's suddenly the prophecy is foretold. We're going to win the World Cup. I don't care. I'm throwing all of my unbiased opinions out the window. We're going yeah. to win the World Cup oh, God. because we won a game. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? The final, right, of the Rugby World Cup 2023 is going to be the world's men's team against the world's women's team. Now that the two best sides in the world. is a final that I'm willing to watch. Yeah. And... I can't believe I'm saying this because like two months ago I was all like, oh, I don't care about the Welsh men's team. And now I'm like, now we back up. Best Gareth team Hanscom in the world, came lads. along. Yeah, Gareth, Gareth Hanscom came happened. along. Jack Morgan suddenly morphed into like the greatest rugby player of all time. Gareth Davis is like class again. It's great. Yeah. It's so enjoyable to watch. So look, this was one of the biggest results I think of the World Cup so far. I think there's a lot of people writing this off as just being Australia were terrible or whatever. Yeah. I think there's far more to it than that. I think mm. there's an awful lot to talk about, an awful lot to dig into. With this game, I think this is one of the most interesting results and most interesting games. Maybe there's a little bit of bias, or there's more than a little bit oh, of bias. Oh yeah, there's there. gonna be there's gonna be a lot of bias in this. And because I also we're think We're embracing this as fans. This was the best Welsh performance since they beat England thirty points to three in twenty thirteen. Yeah. yeah. Which was I think over ten years ago now. On par with that. I think the other standout one was the seventeen nil win over Ireland in twenty nineteen. Uh oh no, 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 that was the thing that we kind of discussed on the full time whistle was that was the most Gatland performance yeah. you'll ever see. I think there's a lot of times in the past where Warren Gatland has called out a journalist who's mentioned the phrase Warren Ball mm. and gone, well, what does it mean? Right. And if you want to now, if he ever asked that again, if he ever is asked, what is Warren Ball? As Miles Harrison once said, I think we have the definition. Yes. You go straight to this game. You pull out the VHS because apparently that's the only way to watch it because there's no bloody highlights on the internet. There's no way of watching it back online. Thanks, World Rugby. When I'm saying you might not have heard of this, you genuinely might not have because bloody World Rugby is ripping all shreds, all knowledge of this World Cup existing don't, down from the don't internet. Say it too loud that there's a World Cup. Yeah, yeah I'm just hoping people might hear. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want them to. No, for certain. It's, I'm sorry. It's a secret, okay. Right. But the point is, you get the VHS of this game and yeah. you hand it to them yeah. and say, this is Warren Ball. This performance is bloody Warren Ball all over, right? The incredible thing about this, right? Wales are completely dominant. Wales are all over this game. You know, you think of this game as being one where Wales are in complete control, complete ascendancy the entire time, right? Do you know the possession stats? No. Uh, Australia had 52% possession. Okay, wow. So I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, Australia had more possession, had 59% in the first half, and then it balanced out in the second half. Mm-hmm. Do you know the tackle stats? No. So Wales made more tackles, again, 
Wales made about 150 tackles to about 124 by Australia. Again, you go through, you know, Wales' kicking stats, like the definition. Which teammate do you think made more metres? I would say Wales, but you're going to say Australia? Australia made more metres with ball in hand, right? All of the stats in some ways suggest that this should be a tight game where Wales or whatever. But the thing is, right, because Wales kicked incredibly well and because they were so accurate and so clinical, suddenly it feels like an absolute battering. Yeah. Despite the fact that Australia have more ball, they do more with it, and they are ostensibly, you know, the team attacking better. But I just didn't feel like the case at any given point. Yeah, it's wild that, isn't it? Sometimes you have those games, especially, I guess, when you're playing them, Mm. where it feels really tight the whole way through. But it takes five or six moments of... That tightness being slightly breached and somebody putting the ball down over the line in order for those points to rack up. And sometimes it feels like the scoreboard doesn't reflect it. But yesterday, I think 40 points to six was exactly the score that that mm. game deserved. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It felt, it was a complete demolition, just pulling apart of each particular part of Australia yeah. as a rugby team. And perhaps as a nation, perhaps almost as a rugby nation, you know, we'll see what the fallout of this is. Could yeah, be huge. you really hope it's but not that's too a bad. whole other topic we'll get yeah. onto. But this was just absolutely enormous from Wales. We should say very briefly as well, we're not going to really cover Scotland Tonga because we watched that game a bit through the window of a pub yeah. on the way to the game outside the stadium in Lyon, and then we watched some more of it on my phone in, in the second half. Yeah, outside of McDonald's, sat on the floor, which is perfect circumstances to watch a game and not really form an opinion on it. To be like, yeah. we were watching it, but it felt more like keeping tabs on the score. You know what? Uh, what I suggest we do is hmm? we dedicate 60 seconds to Scotland versus Tonga. Okay. Okay, so we start now. So Scotland looks like they played pretty well from what we can tell. Us. Yeah. We don't know the ins and outs of it entirely from what we're watching. Tonga's line out is absolutely terrible. They, in exactly the way I kind of expect them to, they score a couple of really lovely tries. They scored them at points in this game that kept them in the match and then fell away. But this Tonga team is largely panning out as I expect them to, which is not very impressive at all, but a couple of players who can produce impressive moments in themselves. That's it. We we always knew that they would be able to produce some incredible consolation tries. Charles Piatau is an incredible individual at rugby and made that fantastic try with the offload. And stuff like that is what they're bringing to this World Cup is a little bit disappointing. It's yeah. Scotland, on the other hand, are rolling on quite nicely. You know, yeah. they look like the team they've been for the last couple of years. The last year in particular, where they attack really well. There's some shakiness in terms of how they manage games. Yeah. But you know what? By and large, they come through it and they always continue on attacking well. And they look all right. Hugh Plotter are great. Duan Vodemov's a, a freak of nature. And scene. Fingers crossed they beat Ireland. Um, that'd be just... Great. So, there's another stat from this Wales-Australia game that I think really tells you an awful lot. Okay? okay. So, kicks from hand, right? Wales 24, Australia 19. So, a similar number. You know, Wales yeah. do kick more, but it's not disproportionate. However, the metres made from those kicks, Wales 836, Australia 409. Yeah. So, okay. Wales are kicking for almost twice the length and making a lot of that ground. Yeah, I think that says a lot about why the rest of the stats are so kind of even or even yeah. low in Wales's 
favour, but because Wales played the way that I've been wanting them to play, and we've been Absolutely. wanting to play, and fans have been wanting them to play for such a long time, and it does make the whole Portugal farce worth it. Yes. I think that they just scraped through, got the bonus point, which was what they wanted to do, yeah. without giving anything away whatsoever. Whereas here, they kicked everything, and they didn't have to make lots of metres no. to score points. You know, no. So Graeme Simmons made the point in his column he made the comparison to England and said this Wales team are exactly what Steve Borthwick wants his England team to be mm. and I think that's exactly it I think both sides are running for the same impression I think and so. I think England are playing broadly very well yeah they are. except for the fact they look like a flawed limited team who found a way around their flaws and to win games despite their flaws which is equally as legitimate which is as valid a way of winning games as any like I, I don't think that's so criticism. much respect for how both of those teams are playing absolutely England. well Wales look like a team that's playing to its strengths mm. I think England look like a team that's covering its weaknesses and Wales the team that's playing to its strengths which is a minor difference and yet I don't think that makes much of a difference in terms of quality I don't think it does I think uh, England are playing to a strength of the sport if that yeah. makes sense rather than of themselves that's that's very well put uh we've accidentally turned into john inverdale and the itv coverage and i talk about england when we shouldn't be however um i just think it was as you say the worst performance i've been wanting for such a long time because yeah. i felt like this was in this team the entire way we look at the pvac era right and every single wrong from that era was put right in this game everything that was a frustration about wales that you wondered why are they doing this or why aren't they doing this everything was changed and different in this one game it felt like the solution that Welsh rugby's been looking for for such a long time and yes there's a tendency and you can say oh people are reading too much into one game i think you can yeah. i think this was the biggest game wales have played in four years right the biggest game since the semi-final and they bloody smashed it. Yeah. They won it by such a margin. They won it in such style, with such a verve and such a way about of playing that felt so quintessentially Welsh and what Welsh rugby's come to mean in the professional era. And for me, that is so phenomenally important that you can read bloody everything into that as a performance. And you look at Warren Gatlin teams in the past, right? And a lot of people bring up the fact that when you went to the Chiefs, they lost a lot of games back to back what people usually forget right is they were on a winning run before covid covid happens they restart the season and they lose the first game and from there having been you know good up until there they lose that first game dramatically and then they go on to lose the rest of those games and they become terrible from there yeah. right gatland teams are always because of the tactics he employs confidence teams yeah right so the way warren gatland sides play is so reliant on you making your tackles on you chasing literally everything because it's all built the whole warren ball structure is built on an emotional effort yeah and that's what wales have really excelled at because it's what they bloody have, you know? Wales haven't, over the last however long, had the most talented players in the world. They're not France, they're not New Zealand. They're not South Africa, they have the biggest players in the world physically. Mm. They're not like this current Irish team who have the most professional, the most well-drilled players in the world who've been, you know, really thinking about rugby essentially as professional since they were basically embryos. Yeah. Where this Wales team have kids who work incredibly hard. Yeah. And it's the thing Gatlin said, like when he was asked about coaching people on the Lions, right? that the Irish tend to produce the best thinkers of the game, you know, the, the most tactical thinkers of the game. England produces kind of the most, like, mentally resilient uh, and mm. professional, but Wales produces the hardest workers. And he always said he didn't pick enough Scots to ever find out what they were good at. Uh, <laughs> but he said, it's just like, he's never coached, you know. The rugby players that work hardest in the world of all the nations Gatlin's coached in 
are the Welsh. Yeah, and Gatland above all, like, who cares if his career at the Chiefs sucks, you know? Because, yeah. like, he's he's back now. Yeah. He's back doing what he's most comfortable with, and that's but, coaching Wales. Because he understands mm-hmm. the WU pathway, uh, Welsh players, Wales as a nation, mm. and Welsh rugby just better than anybody else. Yeah. And what it he can always think one step ahead about what these this group of players need or what his squad needs in terms of personnel, in terms of other players, in terms of coaches yeah. around him. All of that, what feedback these players need and so on. Like that is just the the one thing that Gatlin has down to a T. And the reason why he took the job again? Yeah. Yeah. And like the thing is like as I say with the Warren Ball tactics, right? The reason you tend to see there's a lot of games where Wales will either win them by two, win them by three points, win them by narrow margins, or they can potentially lose again by huge margins. Yeah. Because the moment the moment you're switched off, the moment you're not emotionally up for every single tackle you have to make, up for every single phase of play, up for every moment of the game, suddenly those tactics have been really hard to withstand. Yeah, focus falls, you you just shatter, don't yeah. you? you know? Yeah. And so, like, that's always been a problem. It's easy to lose belief in these tactics yeah. when they don't work. And the moment you lose belief, they fall apart. Yeah. And the thing Wales have managed to build over the time in camp together is a belief. It's something Josh Navidi talks about, how, like, when Gatlin would talk to you in those games, suddenly your belief grew and you felt that you were going to win games yeah. in a way he'd never felt with PVAC, where Wales are able to build that. The longer they're in camp, the better and better he is and the better and better these teams get because the more and more they start to believe in the tactics and believe in themselves... And then that leads to everything snowballing, right? And so they won that game against England in the Principality. And that kick-started, I think, everything we're seeing here. Yeah. And however far Wales go, it's because they were able to build that in the summer, leading to one win over England that they can then use as a springboard of going like, look what we bloody did to that and strong And now this, this Australia result has completely, I guess, transformed Wales as a group. Yeah. Like, I feel like... After that, they suddenly believe, like, oh no, we are like semi-final worthy. And a lot of people will perhaps correctly disagree with that mm. and say, like, Wales aren't that good. Uh, that maybe we are getting carried away a little bit here. And that's okay. Cause I think the players will have their confidence boosted massively and they have the right to get carried away with mm. this. But there's a thing that Gatlin said. There was a clip that WU put on social media mm. post game and Gatlin said, right? In the changing rooms to his team, I said to you before the game, you get what you deserve and you get what you work for. And he felt, you know, you got that today. And that was exactly what this performance was. It was Wales working incredibly hard and coming away with the rewards they wanted, which was a 34 point margin over Australia, right? For context, right? This is not only Wales' biggest ever win over Australia, it's Wales' biggest ever win over a Southern Hemisphere nation. Yeah. It's Australia's biggest ever Rugby World Cup defeat. It's their biggest ever defeat to a team other than New Zealand or South Africa. Biggest ever defeat to a European team, you know, by default. It's their fifth biggest defeat of all time. If Anscombe kicks that conversion at the end, it goes up to third biggest of all time. It's just the the magnitude of this loss is huge. And we do need, I think, to reflect as well what it meant to Australian rugby. Yes, definitely. Because this was probably the single darkest day in the history of Australian rugby. So, it's certainly up there, at least in the professional era. Earlier today, as we record this, yes. we met up with a good friend of the channel of the podcast, uh, Harrison Dale of mm. Dra- Draft Rugby. If you're not familiar with Draft Rugby, please listen to their podcast because those guys are amazing. We've They're had great. them. They're great. We've had them on this pod for the retrospective like, loads of times. Harry and Nelson, um, two brothers, extremely knowledgeable and hardworking people when it comes to Australian rugby. But we met up with Harry, who's, who yeah. was there at the game last night. Lovely, lovely bloke. Met up with him and his wife, and we had a 
long chat about this and it was really interesting to get his side of the story yeah. from an Australian perspective because he w- seemed extremely concerned about like this could fuck Australian rugby forever you know yeah. like we could see ourselves not a professional team a team that is at all looked mm. up to we could see all kids suddenly diverting to watch NRL instead who are currently interested in rugby union yeah you know this has such huge implications and he was saying he was genuinely had a croak in his voice when i asked him like do you think you're going to beat portugal on, yeah uh, next well, week he was saying he's thinking of just not going to the game yeah when he's flown over from australia to watch it right the dales are two of the most hardcore wallaby fans you'll ever find yeah right if you're losing that one percent hardest crowd because of losses like this and fiji that's something else entirely that is when you're properly in danger yeah and yeah, it's been led here down a very long path. And a lot of people have talked about this. A lot of people who are far more clued up on the system than I am. Um, and it is or something me. I think, yeah, yeah, like I've been doing my reading on today ahead of, you know, knowing I potentially have to speak about it and also wanting to just, you know, know and understand because I do think this is a properly dark. It's really day. concerning because I want this Wallabies team to be successful. Yeah. You know, because uh, so, they've got so many world class players and they have a world class coach. Yeah. Is the thing who people are. Probably rightfully calling out and yeah. saying we want more of. So there was fun. a big piece in one of the Australian papers, forgive me, I, I'm not sure which one, on the financial difficulties the Rugby Australia is currently facing at the minute, yeah. which are enormous. Mm. So they've been currently looking for a deal with private equity. They were originally looking for 200 million. They're now currently going begging for 90 million because that's dipped. They're now expecting that figure to be even lower after these two World Cup results because, you know, no one wants to invest in this team if they're going to keep losing or people are less willing to invest, especially as that leads to fewer and fewer people watching. There's less and less sponsorship money coming in. Yeah. They're in a bit of a hole. They need to pay back World Rugby for a loan they took out during COVID. And also, you know, they've got the costs of just running the game on an annual basis. There's rumours that Stan Sport are going to jump ship and they're trying to go for the NRL licence when the current huge. contract that... comes out. And at that point, they don't need Rugby Union. Once Who would got blame the league. them for that? Yeah. Like, that's, that is the logical thing to do from their perspective. And suddenly, you've not got the big contract they've got, got in place and, you know, will have had for five years at that point. Slip by. It will slip by. We'll I, see. I would absolutely hate if all of this is the case because yeah. I love the Wallabies as a brand. Yeah. I love them as a team. I, I just love the identity that goes with them, you know? Mm. And I really want them to succeed, as I say, just not last night. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. Like, I, it's something I think almost every rugby fan, even those who've hated Australian rugby, the, you know, English and Kiwi fans in particular, would desperately mourn. Yeah. Because there's been a decline in general and it's been slow. Yeah. I think is the worst thing. The you know, gap between this... rugby league and rugby union in Australia is just gradually opening yeah right. it's widened and widened every year and for i feel like about it's less 15 years more yeah speedy yeah and i think somewhere since 2015 it's just exploded yeah partly due to the wallabies starting to slip off yeah. from a level of dominance you know from being a top four or so nation and it went from being a sport that perhaps you know was not as popular mm. as other sports but still had a very loyal following and yeah. people tuning in to watch the a Wallabies audience, World Cup. Within and our Cups. time watching rugby, we've seen the Wallabies be the second pushing on first best team in the world. Yeah. You know? We've seen that and I, I do miss that. You yeah. know? On the kind of, I guess, if I was playing play out devil's advocate here and like be uh, in a positive sense, mm. we d- were, a lot of people were saying the same thing about the Alistair Kazir Springbok, thinking like, I worry that 
they're never going to come back for this. And we realised, like, oh, no, we do want the Springboks to be good. It was funny for six months when the Springboks yeah. were losing everything. And you realise, no, it's just really sad yeah. that this is the case. And thank goodness they came back and they won the World Cup. And now, like, not to go too off topic, but when you watch, because it's uh, Sicily, Africa, and so on, like, it makes you realise, like, oh, wait, I've hated on this before. But actually, this is really powerful. It's wonderful, yeah. I love this Springbok team. Like, maybe you shouldn't as a neutral fan, you know, and there's a lot of things that are perhaps less than ideal or, you know, less whatever. But I love them and I love watching them yeah. because they are just the most and passionate I really hope, brand out there. Yeah, I really hope and, there's a resurgence for Australia because, again, I feel very passionately about the Wallabies as a brand yeah. and them as a rugby team. And the other thing is, right, there's a lot of interesting questions that need to be asked around this. I think this will force an awful lot of things that should have been happening anyway. Yeah. In terms of the way rugby union is structured there, there's an awful lot of people now really pointing to the system in a way. A couple of years ago, they were going, well, it's there, you know, but every year we almost win a Bledisloe Cup test and then the All Blacks steal it right at the end. So, you know, maybe things are okay. There is an interesting parallel world where what if Bernard Foley kicked that ball? Yeah. Like, if I was Bernard thinking about Foley that. kicks that ball, right? The Wallabies are level. They go into that last Bledisloe game, you know, that ball that now belongs yeah. to draft rugby, by the yes. way. Yes. <laughs> now property of the Dales and suddenly right Foley kicks it out they beat the All Blacks Rennie keeps his job they mm. go into that autumn series far more boys they perhaps hold out either the France or Ireland game which they lost both of them really late on they hold out one of those with a bit more belief a bit more confidence win that Suddenly, Rennie keeps his job, and they go into this World Cup in a very, very different place. They're not rebuilding. He's far less reckless with his selection than Eddie Jones was, who, look, I've got a lot of time for it. You know, there's a lot of people, I think, in the talk around Eddie Jones has brought me up, having been a big defender of Eddie Jones an awful lot. And I think all of that I do with good reason, because you look at his history, and he is the yeah. most innovative, the most successful coach the World Cup has seen. I that does simultaneously not think mean... you can believe he's the best rugby coach of all time and also he's dropped the ball here. Yeah, I don't think it's mutually exclusive, right? That England would have been better if they kept him yes. and Australia much worse for hiring him. Yes. Exactly. I think both of those two things are true. We weren't to know. I understand why Australian Rugby Union gambled on it. Mm. I wouldn't have fired Dave Rennie at the time, I no. felt. But also, I understand wanting to lock Eddie Jones down. Yeah. And seeing that and going like, oh shit, okay, here is the like maverick genius who is from our nation and has served our, you know, enemies for a long time. Australia won, I think, like one out of eight games against his England team. And then, you know, his Japan team obviously did everything they did. It's a huge thing to nail him down and have him through to the next World Cup potentially. However, Eddie is as Eddie does. And he's already had meetings with Japan. You know, we were hearing about that before this came out in the morning of the game. And who knows if they're going to want to keep him. There was pieces in that article on their financial difficulties of the fact they're still paying Dave Rennie. Dave Rennie's still on the payroll <laughs> for Rugby Australia. to sit on his arse and yeah. watch Australia play like dog shit. <laughs> so he's still on the payroll. They've also got their... Jay, the women's head coach, yeah. is leaving soon. So that's We've going on. No word on that. Um, and there's talk of them trying to buy Dan McKellar out of his Leicester contract, having left the Brumbies for Leicester Tigers. Um, he's just started there. You know, he's just in his first few months with them doing preseason. They haven't played a game yet. It's oh, no, they did. They played, no, they like, played a, a Premiership Cup game against Bedford or something the other the, day. The fact that they Little lost Scottish. Borthwick in the middle of last season is like, sorry, lads, I'm off. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, Kevin's going to do a really good job as our head coach instead. Go, no, sorry, Kevin's coming with me. Richard you Wigglesworth. Can have, you can have Wiggy, yeah. yeah. And then Wigglesworth is there as head coach. He's like, by the way, he's coming with me to England as well. All right, but don't worry, I've sorted out a really good replacement in Dan McKellar. And then 
then suddenly Eddie Jones, a guy who you would trust is going to do a pretty good job with the Wallabies, suddenly there is a possibility that he's not going to be there. You made the point earlier that we could see a world in which the Wallabies have three registered head coaches yeah. all at once. And there's a chance, right, the women's team has two at the same time as well, depending <laughs> on when they hire someone. So they might have five head coaches for the national team on the book at the same time. That's insane, isn't it? We, I think we have to, while we're on the topic... Talk about the thing about will Eddie Jones keep his job? Yeah. First and foremost, it's going to be a really awkward week leading up to Portugal. Yes. Um, but with one eye on that game, this could not have come a better time for Portugal. Yeah. All of this is going on. All of the chat in the Wallabies camp is going to be about the Wallabies and not about Portugal. Uh, they can really target this and just really, really go for them and enjoy his occasion, see if they can win that game. Yeah. But with the Eddie Jones thing, so there's well, a like lot that game of factors as well. Here. That Portugal game is also for automatic qualification for the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Right? Portugal have dragged themselves through bloody hot coals, through the bloody torment and everything of that Spain getting disqualified, allowing yeah. them to get back in. All of this, this has been the most grueling qualification process probably any team's ever gone through because they went through a lot of it during COVID as well, right? Mm. It was a hell of a thing for them to get the qualification stage. They now know if they win one game this weekend, there's a very good chance they've qualified. Yeah. So that's a hell of a carrot, a hell of a motivator for them. For sure, for sure. And if you're Thomas Appleton, you'll bring that up constantly. You know, yeah. that, that is what we're going for. Whereas Australia have much bigger fish to fry. Yeah. They've got so much to work on in training this week that I don't think they'll be spending the whole time looking at Portugal and how to yeah. beat them specifically. But yes, Eddie Jones. Yes. There's a lot of factors to this. Okay. So Hamish McLennan, of course, was the guy who initially signed off on we are going to sack Dave Rennie and bring in Eddie Jones. Yeah. I think he probably had a sleepless night last night thinking yeah. about did I make the wrong decision? Which short answer is yes, even though Eddie Jones is as good, as well renowned, as innovative a coach mm. as he is. And I can't remember who it is that made the point to us, but if he sacks Eddie Jones, he's Admitting that he was wrong. Yeah, to do it that. was a random Australian fan in a bar last night, and I apologise if you're listening and we didn't take note of your name, and I just glad you was a random. It was an Australian fan who okay. was very no, they were very lovely. They, they, were, were, they nice. were legends. And I ended yeah. up around their flat very briefly. It was yeah. the whole thing, but made a really really good point as you say. Like he's essentially got to sack himself if yeah. if they sack Eddie Jones. Like the two of them go together. He was ultimately the guy who made that decision and made that call. Yeah. rather than Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones said he wanted a five-year contract to start immediately. Also, Eddie has started, he shifted the goalpost from originally saying, we're going to win the 2023 Rugby World Cup mm-hmm. to now we're going to win the 2027 Rugby World yeah. Cup. And we have to build for that. He, in terms of keeping his job, he has said the right things in terms mm-hmm. of, oh, we're about building a squad, we're about building a team, we're about putting them through these situations in a few years' time. But you can't help but be sceptical. Yeah. Like, the whole thing about them getting rid of Michael Hooper and Quade Cooper because of their losing mentality or whatever. What are they going to do next year? Just keep them out? He has no choice. Even if Michael Hooper has the best season ever and mm. is available for every game, he can't go really go back on that, can he? Yeah. And that's the thing, right? So I think there has been a definite shift in what the Wallabies are targeting. Yeah. I think Eddie Jones went into the start of the Rugby Championship with the genuine aim of winning the 2023 Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Right? And anything he said is he wants to have a look at all the players, look at all the options, work out where they were, work out what standard they were up to. And I think he worked out somewhere towards the end of the Rugby Championship that they didn't really stand a chance of winning the World Cup. And I think he said a lot of that stuff about wanting to win the World Cup early enough that he believed it. Yeah. And then somewhere along the line, he realized this squad wasn't up to that task. Yeah. And he said some really interesting things in the last couple of weeks about how World Cup winning teams are typically together for six years. 
right? In the lead up and the sixth year is the pinnacle. And they typically have a hard time somewhere in the first two years. Then they come through it, they learn, they get better, and they slowly grow over the four years following into the sixth year. Here's the thing, he's right. Yeah, he's completely right. And a lot of this team he's brought in, they've got five years, maybe six years, depending on, you know, some of them were in under Rennie as well. Yeah. Which allows them to be together as a squad and build towards a World Cup. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. No one understands the science of winning a Rugby World Cup like Eddie Jones, or at least the, the understanding of it, even if, you know, people may point to the fact that as a head coach, he hasn't won one, even if he won one as assistant. It's a real, real science and the knack that he gets completely, the way he's talked when he was with Japan about needing certain cap counts and so on. That was not the case here. All of the things that you point to, because like I have spent so much of my life over the last five years trying to understand Eddie Jones. Yeah. Right? It's impossible. Yeah. It's something that because I got it so wrong at the last World Cup, you know, because I wrote him off in a way I think a lot of people would have done in this World Cup if you stayed with England. And I got that completely wrong. And I was completely wrong. And I spent a long time trying to work out what was going on there, what did I miss, what was looking, you know, and looking really, really hard into the patterns and everything else and, you know, researching Eddie Jones and, you know, reading both his books and Unfortunately, reading around everything task. and so on. But like all of the science, all of the ideas and all the theories he's had on how you win a World Cup, he abandoned yeah. right before this World Cup, mm. which to me said genuinely they arrived at this World Cup looking to build 2027. Yeah. But he didn't want to say that to his squad. Right. He wasn't going to say to the squad, you're lambs to the slaughter so we can build for the four years time. But that was the goal. Yeah. But that wasn't the goal. He said that to the media. Yeah. And the thing is, after every Wallabies game, no matter how well or how badly it goes, the media, he will have a full press room in front of him. Yeah. You know, because he's the most quotable and quoted personality in all of rugby. You know, yeah, because he has this specific tactic where he throws them a carrot really early on and goes and says something ridiculous that at the start of the interview, he will say, I'm going to pick Ted Flanagan at 10 this week and he's going to kick the goals because Carter Gordon is a world class kicker, but we want to give someone else a chance. He'll say something stupid like that, which is obviously. And when someone questions him, there'll be like a little viral clip of him going, you don't sound rugby, mate. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, at this stage. When they're losing every game and losing yeah. it badly, everybody has a different question written down in their notepad yeah. and they're queuing up to ask them and they will be as patient as they can be. And the one that's going to get quoted, clipped up and quoted isn't going to be the one where he says, I'm going to pick Ben Earl on the wing. It's going to be him going, oh no, don't worry about it. We're going to turn this round and win the World Cup. Yeah. Oh, you're an idiot. You don't understand rugby if you disagree. Yeah. Or him refusing to deny the fact he's going to Japan. Yes. Him going, I'm here to coach Australia when asked a yes or no question about whether he's going to Japan. And I think he genuinely doesn't know. I think he's waiting to stay. I would not be surprised if he does jump. 
Yeah. But also, like, I don't know if that's what I'm expecting. If I was Rugby Australia, I would keep Eddie Jones. Yeah. And I know there's a level of bias there to say, like, I am, I don't know if fan is the right word, but I'm someone that has a great deal of respect for Eddie Jones. Yeah. Screw it. I'm a fan of Eddie Jones. Yeah. I sure. Think it, yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, he's like my rugby coaching idol. Yeah. You know? Him and Wayne Smith are like the two yeah. greatest of all time for me. Yeah. No one has done more to drive the game forward than Eddie Jones from a kind yeah. of technical and tactical point of view maybe not in some of the ways he goes about motivating players and dealing with players and dealing mm. with people that's something i think that perhaps is not ideal oh but from a pure technical no point mistake. of view lots of bellend yeah oh god he's, he's a, a massive cunt yeah like, we, but <laughs> we must not lose sight of that but and i think a lot of people like the Owen farrell thing right people go like oh i guess this guy's a prick so therefore they must be terrible and it's like that's not the case really like yeah. you're clouding your own judgment there but right the thing is, the RFU got rid of Eddie Jones at exactly the wrong time. Yeah, right? they did. Either you fire him early enough that you can let someone else build into a World Cup, or you let him go to a World Cup because he pretty openly did not give a shit about anything else. Yeah. He only cared about that World Cup. Yeah. And yet they let him just, you know, spin off and go. And it was ridiculous. And Australia firing him now would be firing him at exactly the wrong time where they've just cost themselves a World Cup by making this gamble Largely with 2027 in mind, with the Lions tour in um, 25 in mind. Yeah. And thrown it away, right? Yeah. And to abandon him now, you're going, okay, Dan McKellar can come in. And I reckon he can do a good job. I reckon he can build a Wallabies team that, you know, can make a semi-final, right? Eddie Jones can, with even with the resources here now, as we've seen with Japan, he can create a World, World Cup winning Wallabies team. He can make a World Cup winning team out of anything, yeah. you know. But also, he can't do it in six months. No. Um, and he has very much proven that, uh, that he can, you can also, he's capable of sending a team very backwards inside six yeah. months. I have no idea what's going to happen in four years time, but it's pointless to speculate. This was that. something that when he first came in, I was really confused by a lot of people saying, oh, he's the best at like quick turnarounds and changing teams instantly and so mm. on. And I was like, well, no, like you look over his history of teams, right? And all of them had a weird like plateau at the start yeah. where like his Japan team were no better than they were beforehand. His England team were better than they were in the previous World Cup. And obviously they won the Six Nations. They were all right. But like they weren't world beaters. he took the, the, what that team was and he just cut out the stupid shit. Yeah. You know? And he built them a bit. And then, you know, they were suddenly good. He just, like... And they took the right time. Working. Yeah. You know, got to a World Cup final. And then he rebuilt them. And then they had a dip, as all of his teams do. All of his teams have a dip immediately because he starts focusing purely on the World Cup and then he should have immediately, right? Yeah. The thing is, yeah, and you look at any team he's ever coached and they all, like, start reasonably flat. They then go upwards and they have a little dip and then they hit, like, the absolute peak. Yeah. All of them do that. England fired them at the dip right before the peak, right before yeah. they, that team would have performed the best they would have, which could have been a World Cup win, could have been another final. We'll never know. Australia would be firing them during the plateau, Yeah. right? So we never see the climb. And I think there's a good chance Australia's fixtures next year are going to be the first games after this World Cup, after presumably going out in the pool stage now, yeah. are going to be two tests against Wales and one against Fiji, right? What more poetic <laughs> way? so stupid. Whoever booked those has had an absolute fucking mare. But what more poetic way for Eddie Jones to make his point yeah. than to go, okay, I'm just going to beat Wales twice and then I'm going to beat bloody Fiji as well. Yeah. And those teams that knocked out the World Cup, bloody gun smash them, mate. Suddenly, that changes everything. That changes the spirit around rugby in Australia. That adds an optimism that they can lead and carry into the Lions and into the World Cup 
down the line in Australia. It's still hilarious. Oh, God, no, it's so ridiculous. It's stupid. I started laughing when I read that earlier today, when I noticed that. that That's the the next fixtures after this, which is ridiculous. What are the chances? But, yeah, so, I don't know. There's a chance for Australia to build off that. Like, genuinely, Australia's next games could be the most important in the history. Yeah. Off the back of that, you know, if they win Who those three games, that their game against Portugal would, would also be one of the most important games in their history. But yeah, no, I think like we'll see how the rest of the World Cup goes. Yeah, there's a chance they can still get out of the group. It's still mathematically possible. They need Georgia to beat Fiji, and they need some other stuff to just fall their way. But 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 but, but, but those three games next year could be key for them turning mm. things around and kick-starting a World Cup cycle where they climb towards perhaps another final. Yeah. I don't think that's impossible. Yeah. I don't think that's like... I would keep Eddie Jones in order to hope of building that. But if it still isn't working by the end of next year, then you have to reconsider. And then Leicester Tigers have to find another coach. Yes. In conclusion... Yes. People... And Wallaby fans uh, who feel very strongly about this, and rightfully mm. so, and especially the ones who, like Harry, who've travelled across the world yeah. to watch their team play. Wallaby fans are correct to be outraged yeah. and to be calling for Eddie Jones to yeah. stand down. Yeah, to be yeah, yeah absolutely. Because the job that he's currently doing is of that level, of it's that terrible. level yeah. of, of shit that it deserves for fans to be calling for it to be over. Like, However, at the same time, mm. I think we both are in agreement that Rugby Australia probably won't and shouldn't sack him. Mm. Yeah, and it's, look, like, there's so many people appointed to this, but Rugby Australia for a long time have not invested properly in grassroots, they've not properly invested in coaching, they've not properly invested in getting the best coaches into academies, they've not properly invested in allowing there to be a clean pathway to get players up to Super Rugby standard in which they can start beating the Kiwi teams. I saw someone make a very good point, right? No one would watch the NRL either if they had five Kiwi teams that beat all the NRL Australian teams all the time, Yeah, you know? And yet... What Australia are doing is they're top-loading all the strategy, and it makes sense because the Wallabies are the big moneymaker, right? Yeah. And so they've gone, we'll invest everything in the Wallabies, and it'll all trickle down. And what they need to be doing is investing at either end of the spectrum and hoping it trickles up and meets in the middle, right? And it's the it's what Ireland have done so successfully. It's what New Zealand have done so successfully. It's what South Africa are doing so successfully. It's what England have tried to do with middling success. And yeah. it's what France at the minute have really started to get right. It's what's changed in French rugby over the last few years. It's what really changed Irish rugby over the last few years. Um, and there's a chance for Australia to be doing that. You know, they have the infrastructure and they have the systems and they have enough schools that specialise in rugby union to be taking a chance and doing that. And all of it is a systemic issue that they can be addressing and they can be attacking as well as, you know, looking at the national team as well. I think we've probably gone deep enough on the yes. Eddie Jones thing there. And I look, think we should talk think, about the game. Yeah, I think there'll be, you know, we mentioned draft rugby, but there's loads of others, loads of Australian rugby podcasts out there that will get into this in far more detail than we can with yeah. far more clarity and perspective. Definitely. And, and it's well worth looking at this in line to the situation to. than, than uh, we are. Uh, like people like kind of green and gold. And, green and gold, um, the raw, the raw, um, uh, rugby fixation. Rugby like fixation, people like that yeah. are putting like really really good stuff on Twitter at the moment and like all these guys know a lot more about this than yeah, we do yeah, yeah. and give them your support yes absolutely listen, listen to those guys because they know what we're about and draft especially because they're our mates because with all of that said right like there is a part of me that's absolutely good for the Wallabies and really worried for what this can mean for yeah, Australia absolutely but the biggest part of me was just like this is something I've waited for for 10 years you know yeah, yeah. this was like I was so overjoyed I was we were sat on like the third row back second on no second row back from the back yes of the, the Leon Stadium which is incredible. Oh my god, that's some gaff, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's massive. It's beautiful. It's a lovely, lovely Park place. Park Olympic 
Leonese. Yeah, lovely, lovely place. Uh, as soon as we walked through the gates in there, we kind of had that nervous thing. Like we were walking around in the day and just mm. seeing other people in whale shirts and the wallaby shirts and kind of awkward thing in the day when you're walking around town and you see the opposition jersey and you're kind of like, all right. <laughs> uh, and then once we're in the stadium, I think that was when the nerves start to kick in for us. Mm. And we had a moment like standing in like the corridor bit where there's all the toilets mm. and the bars and so on and thinking like, bit of shit all there, isn't it? And then we walked through to the bit where the actual stadium is and you're like, Oh, oh my, my god. god. And it's it just incredible. completely overwhelming. It was just such a lovely stadium. It's one of recommend it enough. the most gorgeous stadiums ever visited. Yeah. It's just incredible. As a stadium that is simultaneously enormous and kind of cathedrally, you know, yeah, it has that like yeah. grandiose in this way of the Stade de France, in mm. the same way as the Principality, right? But it holds an atmosphere yeah. in the way a lot of kind of smaller grounds you know, any smaller grounds do where you like you feel like everyone's on top of the pitch and like it really matters and it's all flooding through. I thought Saint Etienne was amazing for that. Oh, well. that was like, a lovely Saint Etienne like conducts an atmosphere like few stadiums you've been to. Like I, I love in Japan. I love the Toyota Stadium, the city of Toyota Stadium, and it's one of these things, right? Everyone that watched on TV was like, that looks like a perfectly fine stadium. Everyone that went there, I speak to, was like, that was a bloody incredible stadium. Okay. It's amazing. Like it's it's top three stadiums I've ever been to. The, wow. the Toyota. That's high um, praise. Yeah, I think it's like Cardiff. There, I really like Toman Park, and it's like similar to that. And then, obviously, you're talking about the Liberty, aren't you? Um, no, Meadow Lane. So, stadium's bloody incredible. You got a real sense that there was an awful lot of Welsh fans just walking around the on in the day. You yeah. were seeing a lot of Wallaby jerseys as well. But I made this point, just looking around the stadium as well, that the gold jerseys just stand out so much more. Yeah. By the way, I just want to quickly add, so we walked past La Welsh pub yes. in Leon in the day. And next door to it, there was an English pub with loads of Australians in it. And La Welsh being a Welsh pub with loads of Welsh people in it. And as we walked past it, there was a huge like sing-off between the two sets of fans. Yes. We had um, Bread of Heaven and Hymns and Arias and Watson with Matilda going up against each other. And it was brilliant. Like seeing both the sets of fans just really enjoying the rivalry before the game. I loved that. But yes, it was Leon. The Park Olympic was definitely more red than it was. Mm. We also Gold. worth mentioning as well. Uh, we ran into Andrew Ford, yes, friend of the legend. channel, friend of bloody YouTube, legend, hero, massive help with what we do. Picture of Ellis Jenkins holding a cat. Yeah, all of those lovely things. bloke. Really, really, really lovely. Really great to actually meet him in person. He's Amazing. We had to go to a before. different country to do it. Yes, but yeah, great um, guy. Great to see him. Yeah, he was meant to come to the touch tournament, and he had some trouble. Bless him. But yeah, top guy. Hopefully, we'll meet him again sometime soon and yeah in a li- with a little bit more time to do so and ha- chat properly but yes anyway so the game let's mm. talk about the actual game itself so jack morgan is the best rugby player on the planet discuss yeah so this is the thing isn't it jack morgan somewhere over the last year has built himself into being the greatest rugby player that's ever played the game yeah and well, if not greatest sportsman yeah he's up there he's up there you know i think it's pretty much you know boxy roger federer and him billy at Searle. this point yes yeah billy oh god billy Searle. Man, Toulouse is greatest ever signing, I think. Yeah. It's him and DuPont, really. When we um, arrived in Toulouse, one of the first things you said is like, it's mental that Billy Sills lived <laughs> and Toby Flood. But yes, uh, Jack Morgan was unbelievable. Obviously, I'm hyperbolizing, but he was so unbelievably good. Like, when he made that break for the Gareth Davis try mm. in the opening, I initially thought that was like George North or someone, which was just so high, like high up and thought that's an incredible line. That's a Brilliant handoff. Mm. Dude's really fast. Now I saw on the replay, like, oh wait, that's Jack Morgan. Of course it is. It was a good thing done on a rugby pitch by Wales. Of course it was Jack Morgan. So Wales in the 2019 game, the corresponding fixture, 
in the last World Cup. Kicked a drop goal. Dan Bigger knocks over a drop goal after about 50 seconds. The quickest score in the history of the Rugby World Cup. Gareth Davis's try took three minutes. Excuse me. Like, it's not quite as fast, but it's a really quick start that really set a template, really set a tone. And I think from that moment on, Wales pretty much weren't losing. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely felt that way. It felt like that was really easy, yeah. you know, to get through and to score that. And what was most impressive was just that we'd never got carried away from, with that. Yeah. We being Wales, I'm sorry. But after that, it was, right, let's just get back down in the half and do it again. Right, So, and that's the thing, right? So Wales' opening score comes from them kicking incredibly smartly, just hanging yeah. it in the air, just pressuring it and allowing themselves to get lineouts in the Australian half. Neither of which, like, dead on the 22 or anything, but both in attacking positions. The first one, they run a... Very similar move where they're using George North on the inside option, trying to pop it in, you know, feed it to him, hopefully pop him through a gap. Very similar to the move they use against Fiji in the first, you know, 15 minutes or so. Yeah. And North breaks the line, floods through. Before I think Josh it Adams just leads to the Josh Adams' yeah. try. They recycle it and, you know, he scores moments later. They're running a very similar move to that, trying to get North into a gap, who, you know, is a very quick, athletic, yet strong 13. They then run a similar move shortly afterwards and obviously everyone's eyes are on George North running the same line and like why are they running the same move twice we smashed him last time we really had an eye on it my eyes at the time were on Nick Tompkins gets absolutely flattened by Karevi and that's what I was watching I didn't notice he managed to flick the ball inside to North comes on an outside like dummy run and instead it hits Jack Morgan on the inside and the thing is no one is looking for the forward hitting that line Mm. Because the forward is normally used at the power option. Play, yeah. Weirdly. But instead, you're getting a flanker to be hitting the centre or the wing, more likely the winger's line mm. you're sending in. And so no one's looking for that because it's a stupid idea. You're only putting your quickest player on that line, but here's the not thing. the slowest player that isn't Jack in the Morgan's line. Jack unbelievable. That's exactly the point. So Morgan hits that line instead. He hits a bloody winger's line with like a quick centre's acceleration managed to get on the outside and through with Karevi having overcommitted to Tompkins and really smashed him. And that's the thing, like watching it live, I was my eyes were all on that rather than the yeah. actual break. And then you kind of just like, oh Jesus, Wales about to score. Gareth Davis runs this great cheat line on the inside. I thought he had his best game for Wales. He was unbelievable. Years. He was so maybe, good. I'm I think so he, pleased for the guy. Maybe genuinely just had his best game for Wales. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe yeah. so. Because he managed the game and just like the, the way that that guy has come back from 12 months ago at the Scarlets, could barely get a game, yeah. was talking to the media about how he thinks he was playing shite, that he just thought, like, I'm in really bad shape, like, I'm really bad form, I deserve to not be in the Wales squad mm. as, I'm, as I'm not at the moment. And he's come back, he's had another chance, and he's just learned um, and just taken everything that Gatland has wanted him to do and just done it with perfection. So we've started to see a handful of players talk out about and against the Wayne Pivak regime. Yes. And Gareth Davis was him. probably the first to do it. Mm. So he said he felt enormously relieved was the word he used when Gatlin came back because he had changed his entire game. He changed how he defended entirely because of how Wayne Pivak wanted the scrum after to defend, right? And he wanted the scrum after to defend essentially as a third centre, defending in the main line, being connected to the two centres at all times, and defending, you know, on kind of one side or the other, so that if one centre got sucked in, they'd always have a partner with them that would yeah. scrum off. And that was how Wayne Pivak liked the scrum off to defend. That was his choice rather than Geffen Jenkins, apparently, according to this whole okay. thing. And he was not willing to go with the thing that Gareth Davis likes to do in defence, where he likes to shoot up, he likes to make big tackles. Yeah, put loads of pressure reads, on. Put, put pressure on. Pressure. Yeah, pressure kicks, pressure passes, look for intercepts. General skills, yeah. Yeah, the sort of thing we saw him doing against Australia four years ago when he was man of the match and he yeah. scored the interception try that one way was the game. He hated that. He really did not want to scrum off doing that. 
and bollocked him for it. And so Gareth Davis said he went back to the Scarlets and he started defending like Pivac wanted him to at the Scarlets. And he felt all his confidence just went because he was having mm. to be a different player. He started trying to be a different player with both sides of the ball. All his days and nights were spent thinking what does Wayne Pivac want to me rather than who am I as a player? What are my points of difference is how do I play yeah. best? And it just kind of broke his confidence. And he said Gatlin came back in and was like, well, no, I know what you do best. Just do that. Yeah. And suddenly he changed overnight and suddenly his confidence just began to grow because Gatlin wanted him to be himself, right? And so it's notable if you look at this game as well. Wales, because, you know, they spend so much time without the ball, Wales defend with their scrum off in a completely different position when Thomas Williams is on the field to when Gareth Davis is on yeah, the field. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that because like, that whole thing about three centres, Thomas Williams could do that. Yeah, and he, and he did perfect, do that. He was really yeah. comfortable doing that yeah. um, in the PVAC system. Whereas, as you say, it didn't work for Gareth Davis and it broke down the rest of his game, the stuff that he's yeah. known for being good at, being his attack and increasingly his kicking game, mm. you know. And I'm just, yeah, I'm really pleased for the guy. And like, as a Welsh fan, I'm proud of that. You know, yeah. the the fact that he's come through that and come through the other side of that and um, has delivered such an amazing performance on the world stage. And Warren Gatland is a brilliant coach tactically, but the thing he always gets right is the motivating of players. Yeah, management of yeah. players. And there are very few people who are genuine, just great man managers like him. Mm. That he was, yes, there's all these stories about him waterboarding the players, right? But they all seem to talk like they loved it. So who are we to judge? Yeah, let's leave that. And... Look, he's managed to get the best out of Gareth Davis by getting him to play like himself. Yeah. Rather than forcing him to be an archetype that he wanted. It's the thing Pivak talked about a lot was that he wanted a particular skill set. He had a set of skills he wanted each position to have. And therefore he would chase that instead of looking to find the best players and work out a game plan that suited them. Wales fundamentally changed how they defend based on who the scrum half is. Yeah. Like, that's probably a part of why they've only taken two because Kieran Hardy likes to defend in the kind of more traditional sweeper role. And it probably makes sense to only have two defensive systems for your scrum half rather than three, which, you know, Hardy would give you. But it's just led to this reinvention of one of Wales' most talented players and the most talented scrum half. Yeah. Let's not forget, Gareth Davis came through as a young kid as this really like flashy, exciting player who took loads of quick taps, scored loads of tries, pride himself on his speed, his pace, his mm. attacking game, who is now obviously a lot older, has matured. And it's very clear and not a coincidence that when he's enjoying his rugby, he's playing at his best at an international level. And we're seeing the best version of Gareth Davis here. And I yeah. did not think that the best version of Gareth Davis would look like this when he was a kid coming through at the Scarlet, scoring shed loads of tries, you know. Yeah. I'm really, really pleased with the guy. And also, Gareth Hanscom. Coming on so early into the game, I he came on and I just thought, oh, I just trust him. Yeah. Like, obviously losing bigger sucks, but I just knew that Gareth Hanscom had a performance in him. And this is the thing, right? That first 12 minutes was so damn bigger. Yeah. It was like damn bigger all over it. I was looking at the first 12 minutes. I was going, oh, damn bigger is going to win this game. It's going to be a damn bigger man of the match and he's going to kick the points. It's going to be phenomenal, right? He's key to them getting that position. He kicks the conversion and then following. He then, yeah, is like really putting Wales in great positions. Then he goes down injured, making a tackle on Karevi, then gets back up, plays another like three or four minutes, then just limps off. And he limps off at the same time that Wales getting penalised at the scrum. And like, I noticed this like bigger, like limping towards the sideline and said to you, you know, pointed out to you. And I said to you at the time, like that might be the game gone. We might've just lost that game in a minute mm. because Dan Big is going off and the scrum is being absolutely dominated. I Little have faith in Anscombe. Yeah. I didn't have faith in the scrum. Oh God, no. I, I mean, I have faith in Anscombe, but like, I love Garrett of Anscombe. I'm 
yeah. one of his biggest fans. But also, Dan Bigger on that kind of form is invaluable as a player to lose. Oh, of course he is. Of course he is. But I, yeah, I don't know. I just had something in me where I was just like, oh, but Gareth Ranscombe's a test match animal. Like, yeah. I think it, it might be because of the context of having had Costello coming on the last couple of weeks yeah. and him not having that ability yet to grab a game by the scruff, whereas Gareth Ranscombe does. Mm. Um, and he showed that... I say I expected a performance by Anscombe. I didn't expect that performance by Anscombe. Like, yeah. that was that was extreme. That might be Gareth Anscombe's best performance in the World Show as well. Yeah. I think those two Gareths might have both been at career best level. Yeah. I think, against that Ireland game in 2019 is the other Anscombe game that really stands out. Yeah, he was unbelievable in that. But as Bigger goes off, he says something to Gareth Anscombe. Like, he's really explaining something mm. to him. And I think it, what he's probably saying is, like, kick the fucking leather off it. Because... Yeah. That is what we need. We just need to be in there 22 all day. Because Anscombe did that. He did that superbly. I think his, his kicking game was outstanding. Nearly worthy of Jack Morgan uh, <laughs> kicking game. We need to talk about the 22-22 from Jack Morgan. Yeah, though I think like there's another thing just while we're talking about kind of early stages, right? Yeah. The really remarkable stat about this. So Australia knock over penalty, make it 7-3 after 9 minutes, right? They then score next immediately after the damn bigger one. You know, they go for the points after destroying that scrum. Yeah. And it's six seven. They're one point behind. The game's really level. Australia don't score again for the rest of the game. Yeah, the fourteenth minute onwards. Yeah. So that's what thirty three unanswered points from Wales. Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? Obviously, they turned down a shot at three, which in fact that was the one that led yeah. to the Jack Morgan kick, wasn't it? Yeah. Which this was, I think, a big turning point in the game. We had there was a clip from the Scrum Five podcast of Sean Maloney on social media today saying it's the turning point in the game, and I think I agree with him. Mm. The moment Wales won the game, where having been, you know, in this position where it's ten six, the game's really level. There's about twenty odd minutes played, and the Wallabies get a penalty straight between the posts, having put some pressure on but not made the breakthrough. And instead of taking the points, they kick for the corner. Donaldson doesn't manage to put it on the five. He puts it, you know, like eight metres out or something. And the Wallabies make such a hash of the line out. You know, two players fall over, the ball's overthrown, no one really jumps for it. It just lands in the arms of Jack Morgan, who pelts it downfield as far as he can the moment the wing comes up to try and charge him and tackle him. And Aaron Wainwright almost gets there, recovers it and scores. But so instead it goes out for 50-22. We both thought that was Gareth Davis, which yeah. was the speed Aaron Wainwright was running at. Like, that was ridiculous. And there's a part of you that's gutted when that ball rolls into touch and it's 50-22. I know. Because you think, oh, that was nearly a try. It's that good a kick. But that's unbelievable. This is the second game where we've talked about Jack Morgan's kicking, like incredible kicking ability. But it's just something invaluable. I think every team needs at least one forward who is an extremely competent kicker with the ball. Yeah. Uh, who can put either just leather the ball away when you're in trouble or can put in like, attacking kicks that that can turn momentum of games. Ireland have Tyburn, who yeah. did that against South Africa and does that regularly. Uh, France now have uh, Pieto Malvaca, yeah, um, yeah, who okay, yeah. suddenly has a really good kicking ability and like Saku Makalu can kick and so on. Yeah. But uh, I, I just think it's an essential part of the modern game. And Jack Morgan is that guy for Wales and he is welcome yeah. in that position. Anscombe then knocks over a penalty that Australia gave away almost immediately. Takes to 13-6. Suddenly the game starts to slip away and Wales just keep chipping away because the entire time, right, they knock over another penalty before half-time, right before half-time. And that entire 
first half is Wales just grinding them down. Yeah. And the territory starts to be eaten away. Wales continue to just kick incredibly well. They're kicking the bloody lever off it. They're just sliding it through. Gatland in the week talked a bit about how he doesn't want his teams keeping the ball for long periods of time. And how, you know, you go back so four really years. really relieved to hear because the Portugal game said the complete opposite. Yeah. But you go back a few years, right? And the way most tries were scored was off phase play. Yeah. And nowadays it's scored off two or three phases. And if you're not scoring by then, then you're probably not going to, unless yeah. you're on the try line itself. Yeah. Most teams don't score from far out, you know, with with big long sets of phases. Yes. I'm going to bring up two moments in the game here. Mm. So the first of which is Nick Tompkins' try. Yes. Seriously impressive. I've only managed to watch back like the last two phases of it because yeah. aforementioned World Rugby not to Don't mention there's a World Cup on. Oh, sorry. Don't mention there's a World Cup. Sorry. Um, they might hear you, they might find out. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just imagine what they'll do if they if they find out there's a World Cup yeah, on. I know. They might watch it. So. Yeah. Oh, we don't want that. We don't want that. It's embarrassing. God, it's so imagine embarrassing. people finding out about men's rugby. Uh, Men play rugby. Uh, they're really bad at it. Anyway, um apart from Gareth Hanscom. But um what's really impressive about that is that's on the 11th or 12th phase in an mm. attack, I believe. And they have manipulated the Australian defence so much that there isn't a man covering the centre of the backfield uh, at, at international level. And granted, you can put that on Australia and say that's shite defence, sure. that you don't have that. And you would be right to do that. But on the flip side of that, clearly Gareth Hanscom has orchestrated those phases in a, in a way to pull the backfield apart and the defence apart. And that's where the space happened to open up. And it was brilliantly taken, right? So that's one moment. The second moment I want to bring up is the Anscom drop goal. Yes. Because yes, yes, it's yes. cut from a very yes. similar cloth in that they, you know, they, they're in the 22. They're going through the phases. Of, I think it was, you know, 12, 13 phases. And you get the impression that Wales are trying to do the exact same thing again and force the Wallabies' defence to just fall apart in some way, shape or form. And you get the impression rough watching Wales in years gone by that they're going to keep knocking on that door regardless mm. of whether, whether anyone answers you know that they're just going to try and really really force it and Gareth Hanscom just doesn't do that he just yeah. goes alright oh, okay this attack is worth three points and three points exactly I'm going to take them yeah and that's brilliant Wales obviously when they had penalty advantage would attack a little bit more rather than necessarily kicking because obviously when you've got advantage mm. you can then get field whatever or get, get points off it and that was just a really mature decision by Anscombe mm. and putting those two moments side by side shows that he has such an instinct for when to pull the trigger yeah and it's like I was saying earlier right about Gatlin's tactics being so emotionally draining and emotionally demanding and the moment you're falling off they all fall off yeah right that goes double for all scrums and all mauls and tackling in general, you know, and all sides of the game. Like, it's why blowouts happen more in rugby than almost any other sport, because the act of not conceding takes a huge emotional energy. And the moment you're behind, it's so easy to just give up, right? And if you give up, the other team are going to score tries. In football, that isn't necessarily the case, right? If your team gives up defending, the other team still might miss the target. You know, the goalkeeper might still end up saving it. If there's a one, only one player trying... You know, it's a whole other situation. In rugby, you can have one player just giving up mentally and that can be worth six tries in a half, right? Suddenly, Anscombe knocks over that drop goal. That is so deflating for Australia. You know, they've gone from being, what, you know, a couple of tries and they're back in this, which you know this Australia team's capable of. They've got Marika Koro and Bete on the wing, you know, and Mark Nassi. Yeah. Who can produce tries out of nowhere, each of them, so they could each produce one, and you know, we'll see what happens, swing of momentum, everything changes. Anscombe takes three points, right? 
Not only is he saying it's a mature decision, that Welsh attack started going absolutely nowhere. And really, the two chances here is either eventually Australia give away a penalty and either knock it over or they go for the corner and, you know, look for more, whatever. Or Australia get their biggest swing of momentum of the game, mm, turning it over. Finally, yeah. yeah. Like withstanding something because Wales have been so disciplined and just clean the entire game. And they've not really kept hold of the ball for yeah. long periods. They've either kicked it's it or they've scored point. points and knocked stuff over. And so they deny Australia a chance to gain any momentum by kicking this the moment they lose Three shape. points are a bonus at that there. point, yeah. aren't they? Three points are a bonus, but also like it's so demoralising for Australia. That's the it. point that they're when next get a penalty, they finally go for the corner and Jack Morgan scores off a more because they're knackered and they've basically given up. And so, and the rugby Australia I was playing was, you used the word suicidal. Yeah. And the thing is, it's the sort of thing I'm so used to having to Wales when they yeah. start playing like shit, is that they start doing that. And they were just going, let's just give it to Marky Mark, uh, no one yeah. else, and just see what he can do in our own 22. Been... And it led to nothing because they weren't doing that for a deliberate reason. They were just doing yeah. it on the off chance he makes a freakish break. Take, take McDermott then box kicks to himself in his own 22. Everything was going really bad for them. But like, Australia started playing suicide rugby at their own 22 at 10 points down. Yeah. Right, that is not a composed team. And it just accumulated from there. Yeah. And like you talk about them not having experienced players in the team, right? And I get a lot of the justification and mm. completely fine with a lot of it. But a composed team that knows what they're doing go 10 points is bloody nothing. Yeah. We score a try and suddenly the whole game is different. There's a half to go. There's 35 minutes to go. Let's not chuck it around in their own 22. And then, as I say, Tate McDermott box kick it to himself and then get penalised because all the forwards are offside and chasing it. It was one of the stupid... Like, genuinely, I, think it's the- I don't think there'll be a stupid bit of play in this World Cup. No. It was the dumbest like two minutes of rugby I've seen in such so, a long so time Bear, the thing you were just on, on about literally happened when they, these two last played in the World Cup mm. like Wales got like 10-13 points up yeah. uh, with drop yeah, goal yeah. with a penalty with the Gareth Davis interception try which were all like extremely jammy moments mm. and some people will go like oh bloody that doesn't deserve a 13 point lead but it gives you a 13 point lead yeah. that's the way you go for it and it was Michael bloody Hooper himself scored the try that got yeah. Australia back in the game that convinced all Welsh fans to the literal final minute that Wales were going to lose that game because of Michael Hooper yeah well that was so I for that game was sat next to this quite old Japanese man who didn't have much English I didn't have much Japanese but we kind of had a bit of a chat and he was saying he's been going to rugby matches his entire life and he like was so moved to be seeing like huge crowds of Japanese people at rugby matches because he was used to going and there being like at best 100 people there sure. he was like he was just having an amazing time going to all the games in Tokyo and he was absolutely loving it and he was just the best guy but <laughs> when Wales were in relative control of that game with like 15 minutes to go he turned to me and he went 15 minutes it, like meaning to be very reassuring to me because he could tell I was anxious and he was like oh, he said something like nervous and I was like yes hi and then he kind of laughed and then he said like 15 minutes like 15 minutes is nothing you know oh, you'll be fine so long and then he turned to me at 10 minutes and he was like 10 minutes like being very reassuring and Australia scored again and he went Five minutes oh. in a very like nervous like oh no, no you're in I'm trouble sorry, now. I was wrong oh man alive but- and then they came through it and they got down and like Wales had the ball back and it was getting towards the end and he went one minute oh. and then eventually you know Australia have that attack and he was like oh one minute and then they turn it over and I you know he celebrates and he shakes my hand and it was very very lovely that's very good it was a proper rugby values moment on the flip side of that though like yesterday 
We both fucking love that second half. We had so oh, much God, fun doing that. And the point at which, like, at one point you got your phone out because we couldn't see the clock and our good friend Rihanna Garth Jones was telling you what the time mm. was in the game. And you said, oh, what? There's only five minutes left. I was like, you're joking. Yeah. I want this to carry on for another 20. I thought 20. we were, like, 60 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is great. We can have 50 here. Yeah. yeah, but we we just enjoyed that too yeah. much. It just flew by. That was a really, really good second half. Like, oh, God, it was amazing. It just felt incredible on the final whistle, just like, what on earth's happening? Also, after the final whistle, so there was this really lovely group of Welsh fans who were sat like on our row who came up to us beforehand because mm. they were fans of the channel or whatever and had a little brief chat with us. And there was a great moment when the stadium was cleared out. Obviously, all the Wallabies fans had left quite early and those four lads walked across the other side as the, you know the rest of our block was kind of mostly empty and then turned around to us and then was like, they just looked at us and was like, see ya lads. And I was like, see ya, like, alright, see ya later lads, have a good night, whatever. And then simultaneously, me and one of those lads just both went, come on! <laughs> and like fist bumped the air. Uh, and it was, it was a really wholesome moment. I, because we were right at the back, I just started pacing around the very back of the stadium, just like punching the air. Yeah. Just like losing my shit. We stayed up and there for absolutely ages. Yeah, my abiding memory, besides, you know, the Japanese guy next to me in 2019, was spending the last minute of the game stood in the aisle because I was sat mm. in an aisle seat and just standing there like leaning on one of the metal railings like for the thing to end and they finishing and like jumping in the air and all of that and like being able to because I was in the aisle and I wasn't in anyone's way and just being able to stand up for that incredibly tense last minute and I was doing the same here but with like very different context yeah and it was great just being able to stand in the aisle and be like this is so different from four years ago but this is just as I said the best words I've played in maybe 10 years, probably 10 years. Yeah. The most dominant, the most classic Warren Ball performance. So satisfying. The way they kick the lever off it, they chase everything, they tackle everything, and they work and work and work. And a lot of people have pointed this as being, oh, well, Australia were terrible, and, you know, Wales weren't actually that good. They just played a bad Australian team. That's the way Wales bloody players. They trap you into making errors. They try and coax you into making lots of errors, and then they feed off it. Yeah. Right, and we was fed off that better than they ever have yeah. to a point in which they're bloody thirty-four point winners, which is normally a margin reflected or reserved for teams like an Ireland or like a New Zealand who just will physically smash you or run in lots of tries who are very open, like a France, you know? Wales have never been one of those teams, right? No. And so the fact that they were able to be clinical in the small moments and to the tune of a thirty-four point margin is incredible and does bode well enough, as I was saying earlier, to get carried away with because this team will grow in confidence as this goes on and it'll only get better from here. Yeah, let's keep enjoying this, man. Like, what an incredible performance. We beat, we put more points on Australia than we did Portugal, you know? Yeah. Like, how amazing is and that like, as a feeling? This is the thing. People are saying, oh, it's a terrible Australia team. It doesn't reflect anything, right? Wales beat them by a bigger margin than the All Blacks did, the Springboks did, than France did, yeah. than Ireland did in the last year. And that doesn't necessarily mean that Wales are anywhere near as good a team as those guys. No. But what it does mean is, obviously it's a shit Wallabies team, but Wales made them shit. Yeah, it highlights, made them it highlights what a good performance that was by Wales. Yeah. The standard Wales were playing to was incredible. The Wallabies haven't been kept trialless in that period as well. You know, it's a long time since they were last without a try. You know, all those games against the All Blacks and Springboks and so on, they still managed to score a try. They bloody couldn't hear. They yeah. couldn't manage a single one. Wales were Zamo being, you know, more patient in the final play away from getting the bonus point and being the only team on 15 from 15. There's still a chance, you know, they only dropped one point in the pool stage, which would be incredible. It's just been the 
most amazing performance. And as you say, Australia came out completely anonymous, right? I want to read you quickly. I know this isn't the format of the, you know, the retrospective podcast. I'm going to run you through the Australia team, right? I want you to tell me if you realise they were playing in the game. Okay. Because half of these players, nope. Angus Bell. Uh, no, not really. David Parecki? No. James Slipper? Uh, yes, but because he was playing shit. Nick Frost? Uh, no. Richie Arnold? Uh, not especially. Again, I completely forgot those two with the second row pairing. Rob Liotta? <laughs> no. I had no idea Rob Liotta <laughs> was playing in this game. And like, I'd seen the team sheets, they read them out beforehand, I'd looked over them in yeah, detail beforehand. I had no idea. No idea Rob Liotta played that. Tom Hooper? No. Rob Valentini? Yes. Yeah, Rob really Valentini good. was really he good. He was their best player. Uh, Tate McDermott? Yes. Who I thought was very good in the first half, and the second half was... Bottled it, yeah. Yeah, panicking and bottling it. Uh, ben Donaldson? Yes, yeah. but for different reasons. Yeah. Marika Corombete. I was very aware he was pl- of the fact he was playing because he's one of my favourite players. I think he's one of the best players in the world, and he didn't do anything. I had a thought midway through the game of like, did Corombete pull out before the game or something? Because mm. I can't remember the last time I ever saw him that quiet in no. both attack and defence. No, like normally, really even if he like doesn't it. see much of the ball, he comes in and makes a couple of big reads. Yeah, and there was none of that in the game whatsoever. You just couldn't tell he was completely anonymous. Like he wasn't Marika. You know, like he might have been on the field, he might have been a perfectly solid winger, but he wasn't Marika, who's yeah. his own like genre of winger. Yeah. Uh, Nwangwiton Asse, who I thought had maybe his weakest game for Australia. Agreed, agreed. He was fine. Yeah, I think he's generally just been exceptional in every single yeah, cap he's, so far. unbelievable, he's a freak. And I thought this was the first game I've looked at and I've gone like, ooh, you are struggling today. Yeah. Samu Karevi. Yes. Yeah, who I think weird mixed bag performance. Yes. I think her performance was lots of good. I think there was some bad. Yeah. But I think overall, like a largely positive mixed bag. Do you know what's mad? I literally can't think of who played 13 for them. Yeah, it was Jordi Pattaya, turns out. Joking. I I do not. Literally. I remember him playing the other two games. Since you said 10 uh, on this list, since you said Ben Jonathan's name, I've been thinking, like, who was the 13? I genuinely don't know. Yeah. So no, it's a no to Jordan Pattaya. Yeah. And who was 15? Uh, 15 was Andrew Calloway. Yeah. Who was okay? Yeah. I mean, came off after an hour. Yeah. Again, didn't... I don't know if we saw anything of... Yeah. Him. Sometimes you get a skewed perspective from watching it in the crowd without commentary and stuff. And sure, you know, they may sure. credit things to the wrong people. But like... Yeah, it was such an anonymous performance across the board from the Wallabies. Whereas With the exception at, of Rob Valentini, who was outstanding as always. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's just a phenomenal player. He's so good. Whereas you look at that Welsh team, right? And across the board, you're looking at great performances. You know, like Tom Francis obviously turns around the scrum in the second half and makes one unbelievable tackle towards the end of the first half. Gareth Thomas, likewise. Ryan Elias. Like, Welsh line-out was 16 from 17. We talked a bit before about, I think, David Jenkins' line-out calling takes some work. Adam Beard was quietly just exceptional. He got a lot of praise, and rightfully so, last night. I'm very pleased for him. He deserves it. He deserves it. It's 50th cap. I'm such a fan of Adam Beard. I just think he is exactly the player that Wales need in the second row. He's everything you want from a technical second row. Yeah. And people that don't rate him are stupid. Because he's or at least not paying attention. Exactly. Yeah. He's not flashy, so people, you know, don't pay attention to the fact that he does the basics better than almost anyone else. Yeah. Paul Rollins was great. Aaron Wainwright was fantastic. Jack Morgan is the greatest player of all time. Falatau, I thought, was really he's so great. Good. He's always so good. It's, as I say, it's, it's like almost unnoteworthy. Yeah. I might have given Gareth Davis man of the match, so he came off after an hour, so it's like, it's more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Can't argue with Anscom, wouldn't argue with Jack Morgan. Yep. Dan Big was phenomenal for 12 minutes. Anscom was phenomenal for the rest. Josh Adams and Zamo I thought both very good. Josh Adams is just so good at chasing yeah, high balls, which just... always feels like faint praise, but like he's the best so in the world at it. Yeah. 
Nick Tompkins. I offered a brand new theory on Nick Tompkins earlier to you. Yes. So there's something in... Josh Navidi talked about something on the Scrum 5 pod about how it was really clear watching the game of someone that played under Gatlin that every single player knew their role and knew exactly what they had to be doing at every given point in the mm-hmm. game and that everyone was so clear on what they were doing in every situation and everything that they just had a role and they were sticking to it, right? And we've talked extensively in the past about the difference between Saracen's Nick and Wales Nick, yes. right? And Wales Nick is this chaotic ball of just like rabbits, like they've just downed a tube of blue Smarties beforehand and just yeah. run on the field. The analogy I used earlier is like, because Nick Tompkins at Saracens is like really direct yeah. and stuff. And like Saracens obviously is, is a brand of rugby. They're like really kind of like, oh, well, how did I describe it earlier? I can't remember. But just like they're hard-nosed, hard-nosed bastards. bastards. Like would just do anything to win the game. Do not care about anything else as, as you should be. And uh, I always think Dick Tompkins, the one who plays yes. for Saracens, like when the Ospreys turned up at the Stonex. Like, he was all like, I don't know these guys. Like, why are you trying to talk to me? I don't know. Yeah, I've never, I've never. In front of all of his England mates. You know? All his hard little mates from Saracens. Yeah. Go on, carry on with your theory about Dick yeah. Tompkins. Whereas, with Wales, he's like always been this incredibly chaotic presence yeah, of just weird nonsense. Yeah. Whereas, with Saracens, he's like a really hard running, like, System 12. Yeah. And he's just a completely different player. And the thing is, I think Gatlin's just given him a role properly, and suddenly he's managed to unlock Saracens' Nick. Yeah. And suddenly Dick Tompkins is coming out instead of Nick. Yeah. Who's extremely direct. And yeah. He's been brilliant. Like, and he was brilliant. He was both superb. against Fiji and here. So he's brilliant. He's kind of nailed down that 12 shirt out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, Which yeah, some people so, were sceptical about. Yeah. Brilliant. Performed. George North, very good as well. Yeah, you very know, solid. Love that guy. Sanjay, perfectly solid. And then like across the board, the bench pretty much made an impact. I'm so pleased for Corey Domichalski. I'm so glad yeah. that he's a part of this group. He Rio Dyer as well. He's a good you know, like, Rio um, Dyer's a good lad. Always delighted when I get to see him You know, have a bit of a go. And Eddie obviously D. these are inflated by the fact we support Wales. Like, sure. The attachment to the players and stuff. But it's, yeah, it was very enjoyable. Yeah, I just thought it was an amazing performance. It was superb. We've kind of eulogised, I think, more than analysed. Yeah. But also... Love the that's the we we are rugby fans and know. also like we've now had 24 hours plus to calm down and it's led to us just being objective but in a more boring way rather than going like oh this is exactly what's working oh no, like make no mistake like obviously you're listening to us talk about this like we're people who, who know what we're on about but realistically we're just a pair of wales fans and like we went out after that game and enjoyed mm. it with other wales fans and wallabies fans yep and had a great time like that was such an amazing night i i enjoyed that so much and i i woke up this morning and you said to me oh how are you doing expecting me to say like oh i'm really hungover and i was like fucking incredible <laughs> yeah. we fucking dicked the wallabies last night like that was a that was amazing i love the way you added and wallabies fans like someone trying not to get cancelled <laughs> yes like, oh there's three genders yeah the, the, it, it, just what a bloody evening what a game what a result what a Warren Gatland what a what a Warren Gatland what a Warren Gatland there are as many genders as anyone wants them to be it's all up to you and it's a spectrum and it swings all the time it's bloody fluid isn't it so also um, on that note okay on that note um, before we finish yes. in fact I would like to provide the finishing note to this podcast please. if that's okay please, please, um, please. so I'm going to bring back a segment of this podcast that we've not done in a long long time because today I received an email saying somebody has left a review of the podcast and I'm going to read this out to to you okay okay so the the heading of the oh it's so th- this is from dfh dfh 777 oh they got a podcast. sale on uh, yes 
Um, so the the heading is good analysis. Shame about the other takes. And then they say always on the edge with Squidge, neck beard, touch rugby hipster. Every time I think he isn't actually producing any an- an analysis, instead just describing the game, he does pull it out of the bag. Very tired of the non rugby pish though. No idea what he has against the military, but having served for ten years, I think he can do one. Belter two stars. <laughs> Nice that he gave us two stars rather than one. Yeah, because sometimes it's analysis. Sometimes the analysis is all right. I, uh, it's the question, right? I don't remember what I said about the military. No, I, I, I have no idea. I don't remember you saying anything about the military at any point. But then also, I don't remember any of this World Cup. It's all just been yeah. a massive blur. This whole time Maybe in France. Maybe he's listening back to the series. And we might have said something about somebody who was in the military. I imagine that he's listening to Look, every single episode of the retrospective series. I love the military and all the penguins that serve in it. Yeah, um, <laughs> as a crossover reference. A yeah, six-month run of military animals on Blood and Mud that I inspired very much, I hope, proves. <laughs> but just thought that was funny. So thanks yeah. DFH, DFH777 for that review. I think... Um, Maybe what's being confused is just don't, don't like war. Yeah. I just don't like it's war. It's great. It's I think great. war's shit. Yeah. And also, like, I'm not interested in war. You know, I had this walk around the Louvre, right? And there's so many paintings which are just like battles and wars. I'm just like, I just don't care. Yeah. I don't care just about war. Just be mates. Yeah. Just well, get over I it. I think instead they should do paintings of people shaking hands and swapping jerseys at the end of rugby games because that wouldn't doesn't, happen doesn't in any of society. Doesn't happen in any of sports, yeah. yeah. Doesn't happen in war, does it? No, exactly. Think you about that. Wouldn't get this in war. That's that's the next step Bill Beaumont's going to take <laughs> when no one buys his most recent rugby value spiel. going to say, you wouldn't get this in war, would you? And there's loads of people at that. And I'd remember, I was there for 1066. Yes. Oh, man. Right. Wales, good. Wales, good. Scotland, probably all right. Yeah. Australia, old dearie, dear, dear. Tonga, those are the scores. Thank you for listening to Final Score with me, Jason Mohammed. We'll see you. Reese Priestland. We'll see you next time. Next game is bloody Italy, Namibia, which we're going to. So we'll see how we pick up that one and the games beyond. Because there's plenty of bloody Rugby. rugby coming up. Very soon. I mean, there's three midweek games this week. There's Uruguay, Namibia, there's Japan, Samoa, there's New Zealand, Italy. We may pick them up as one. We may pick them up as several. We'll see. We'll it's probably half 2 a.m. The Sunday after the game, Monday after the game. We should probably go to bed at some point. Yeah, let's do it. And see you soon for rugby. rugby. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 